You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Ahmed Munawar, and I've got John Tyerman of Hinge Marketing on the show today. Repeat guest this time, John and his colleague Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing were on the show about a year ago to talk to us about the results and the findings from Hinge's annual high growth study. This is an annual study that Hinge conducts where they look at what are the fastest growing professional services firms in every industry doing that everybody else who isn't growing nearly as fast as them are not doing. What are the highest growth firms doing differently is the focus of this study. So John and Lee were on the show about a year ago to talk about last year's findings. John's back on the show again now to talk about this year's findings and what's changed and what we all need to be taking note of accordingly. So lots to learn here from John Tyerman and from the annual findings of the high growth study by Hinge Marketing. Now, before I let you go, as of the time of the release of this episode, it should be about early April. Q2 is now underway. Good time to take stock. How was Q1? Are you on track to hit your goals? You had some goals heading into this year for 2019. Are you on track? Are you now more than 25% of the way there? If you're not, now's a pretty good time to do something about it. You know, you don't want to wait until Q3 or Q4 to change up your strategy. If things aren't working for you now, by the time Q2 rolls around, you want to take notice, you want to take action, change your strategy to get better results. You know, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result. So if you're not getting results, change your strategy. If you want to change your strategy, I'd be happy to talk to you. I'm setting aside some time on my calendar in the next couple of weeks after this episode goes live to talk to a handful of you. I can't talk to all of you. That'd be a lot of fun, but it's just not logistically possible. So I'm going to talk to a handful of you who are looking for a better way to do things, a better way to generate leads and position your firm and to win new business. And if that's something you're looking for, you want to talk to me about, I'm happy to talk. Head over to forecast.fm slash talk. That's forecast.fm slash talk. Grab a time in my calendar. Hopefully there's still one there available for you by the time you get there. Answer the questions on the next page so I can make sure you're a good fit for this conversation. And if everything looks good, we will talk at the scheduled date and time. Now, with that said, Here's my conversation with John Tyerman of Hinge Marketing. Enjoy. John Tyerman, welcome to the show, my friend. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. I've got to say that you're uh, killing it on LinkedIn. I uh, follow you, love the, the video blogs you post, and I subscribe to your podcast. So it's, it's a pleasure to be on. Well, it's, it's good to see you again and hear from you again. We talked about a year ago, I think roughly yourself and Lee came on the show from Hinge to talk about the annual high growth study. Last time we talked, your 2018 findings had just come in. And um, I'm I'm honored that you've become kind of a staple on the show now. Every year we get to hear from you and hear about the awesome work you guys are doing at Hinge. So that's fantastic. Why don't you get us started though with a quick intro to who you are and to who Hinge Marketing is for those who might not be familiar. Sure, yeah. My name is John Tyerman. I'm the Senior Research Manager here at Hinge. And um, I like to say that I've been doing content marketing for um, 20 years now. So when I was about 10 years old, I uh, played in a band and we would create music and I found uh, promoting it 
And I found a passion around um, creating something and promoting it and sharing it with the world. So um, getting into content marketing was something that was just a natural fit for me. So um, uh, here I am at Hinge. I've been at Hinge for over five years now. And um, I head the research department here at Hinge. And uh, we do a lot of primary research. And um, as you said, one of our biggest um, studies is this 2019 high growth study. And what we do is um, at Hinge, our mission is really to understand what drives extraordinary growth in professional services. And we made it our, our quest to find out what, um, what those high growth firms do differently than their slower growing counterparts. And so this is the fourth annual high growth study that we just released. And um, over a thousand firms participated. Combined revenues actually eclipsed $1 trillion this year. So that was, uh, that's pretty impressive. It's the largest one we've ever done. Um, it covers over 17 million employees. So it's uh, quite the body of research. John, I'd love for you to explain really, really briefly here, why the focus on research at Hinge? Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to understand that for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think folks need to understand that Hinge is not your typical branding agency and research is one of your key differentiators, but also because it's probably an opportunity for a lot of firms to use of their own to have that research focus to their work. So I'd love for you to explain a little bit high level why the focus on research at Hinge. Well, research, market research is actually a service that we offer to our clients. Um, and what we like to do is we like to say we practice what we preach. So we do extensive market research on professional services firms. And what that allows us to do is that allows us to take that body of research and apply it to our clients. So we're able to draw on our extensive database. We've actually collected perspectives on over 20,000 professional services executives and marketing directors. So we've got an extensive database from over a decade of research and that um, provides a lot of value for our clients. Yeah, and, and I, I personally use you know a lot, if not all of the data that you guys publish. And, and the thing that I love about it, and, and, and the reason I share it with my clients is because if you want a data-driven approach, mm -hmm. where we're not just making stuff up, we're not making assumptions here, but, but a data-driven approach to marketing in a professional services context, Hinge owns that category. Um, and that's why I have a lot of respect for the work that you do, but also I think it's an opportunity for a lot of folks within their own industries Instead of saying, hey, here's what we think will work, go and find out what actually works in the real exactly. world and then report that back to your clients. And you're going to have all the authority that comes with that, which is what you know, Hinge does beautifully. Well, you know, and you, you touched on one of, the, one of the findings in this year's study is that those high growth firms, they actually um, do original research and include that in their marketing strategy more so than um, the slower growing uh, firms in the marketplace. Love that. Okay, so let, let's set this up, John. So you're going to walk us through the five hallmarks of the high growth firm in 2019. Uh, before we get into that, though, I'm not sure, I don't think you touched on it yet, but what defines high growth in this case? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we say high growth firms, we mean firms that have sustained at least a 20% annual growth um, in their revenue. So that's really what we define as high growth firms. And um, in the study, what we did was we actually took out firms that did less than a million dollars in revenue. So we were focused on the larger firms. We actually oversampled larger firms so that we could um, 
speak to them a little bit because there's so few few and far between large professional services firms. Um, so that's what we define as high growth. And actually what we found was that when we looked at those high growth firms and we compared them to their slower growing counterparts, um, they were actually very, very similar in terms of the size makeup. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it ranged from firms that did a million dollars all the way to firms that did, you know, billions of dollars as well. So is, is it safe to say that the findings we're going to talk about today will apply to firms of all sizes? We've, we've isolated for size, in other words? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. So, so these are the five hallmarks of high growth firms. In other words, these are the five things that you found through your research that high growth firms that are growing at 20% a year are doing that the no growth or low growth firms are not doing nearly as well. Correct. Yep. Awesome. So let, let's jump into number one. Sure. All right. So the high growth firms, their top marketing priority is differentiation. That's the number one thing that they're concerned with. Um, and differentiation is easier said than done, right? So, um, you know, if you say we have the best people, well, you're not going to go around saying we don't have the best people in our, in our firm. So having the best people isn't really necessarily a differentiator, no matter how, how much you want it to, to be so. And what we found is that there are really three tests that a good differentiator must pass. It has to be true. You, you don't want to claim something that's not true. It has to be provable. You have to be able to say, here are some projects that we did that demonstrate this differentiator, or here's the research that we did that backs that up. And then finally, the differentiator needs to be relevant. So it's got to be something that your clients care about. And you know, I, uh, I was listening to your, one of your podcasts the other day. It was, your, is your offer boring? And I thought that <laughs> that's such a good question because it speaks to differentiation in the sense that are you sounding like everyone else or do you come to the table with a unique perspective? So the most successful firms are able to successfully differentiate themselves and separate their practice from the pack. So true, provable, and relevant. So true, I think we can all Kind of get behind, right? We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to say anything that's not true. That that should be fairly straightforward. Provable. To what extent should we be able to prove something? Because I think we can probably agree that no matter what, working with a firm is always some kind of leap of faith. Nothing's provable until you've done it for me, right? So, yep. what's that line? Like, how much do we need to prove things to the buyer? Well, I think that there's a couple ways that you can prove that. You can prove it with your thought leadership is one way to do it. So um, I think your the videos that you post on LinkedIn are a great way because um, you demonstrate that expertise and um, you know it's because you do it on a consistent basis, you, you have a voice that's credible. So I think that's one way you can prove. Um, another way that you can prove your differentiator is through your past experience. And, you know, you, that could take the place of, you know, a design portfolio on your website. It could be case studies that you, that you publish. These are all different ways that you can prove a differentiator. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot with my clients is, is the importance of telling stories throughout the sales process. Absolutely. And 
and that's not in in replacement for or substitute for an actual formal case study, which is very powerful. Mm-hmm. But often, what's more powerful than the actual case study on paper is when you're in a sales conversation, you're talking to a buyer, and then they're expressing a problem, and you say, you know, it's funny. This really reminds me of a project we did for XYZ Corp, and they were in a very similar position. And what they found is that by focusing on this particular thing and fixing this particular issue, they were able to get better results. Exactly. Um, and it, that kind of ties into relevance as well, because it's it's provable. I'm, I'm telling you the story. If you want to know, learn more about that or have questions, happy to explain it to you. It's also relevant because I'm now taking that story and not just sending you a case study at random, but I'm connecting it to something that we just talked about. Absolutely. And you know, I think our brains are wired to learn through storytelling, because in, in ancient history, you know, mythology was passed down orally. And so it's telling the story. Um, and it, within those stories, you have your heroes and your villains. And, um, you know, our, our brains are really wired to understand a concept by hearing a story. So let me ask you this. Um, true, provable, relevant, but nowhere in there am I hearing original and I guess it's kind of baked into the exercise of differentiation, right? But, but I think a lot of folks are probably listening to this and thinking, well, I, I have a true, approved, provable, relevant value proposition, but what if, it's, what if I'm not the only one? Should I be concerned about that? Well, I think, you know, you're always going to be competing, right? So there's always going to be someone in the marketplace who is going to say that they are similar in position to where you have positioned yourself. So... I don't know that if there is a, 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 mar- a pocket in the market where you can occupy and be the only one, you won't be there for long because there will be um, other businesses and, and other practitioners who, who will see that and then will take that as an opportunity to emulate what you're doing. Um, so there is an element of timing involved and um, you, you will always have competition. That's true. And every market's evolving, right? So there's always opportunities to differentiate in different ways. And certainly if you're at the forefront and your differentiation is lined up with the underlying trends in the marketplace, you're going to be one of the first to capitalize on that. But like you said, once it catches on, folks are going to jump on the boat and start claiming the same thing. Then you've got to be able to innovate further. Yeah. And, you know, your professional services firm doesn't have one differentiator. There's not one thing that can differentiate you. There could be multiple um, points that differentiate your firm in the marketplace. So, um, and then when we start introducing that, that adds another dimension to it. So there could be different combinations of differentiators. Um, for example, at Hinge, we're focused on research, like we talked about, but we're also focused on professional services. So um, highly focused industry, highly focused discipline, um, and the cross-section of that really resonates with a lot of our clients. So let me ask you this, just to get our terminology right, how do you distinguish between differentiation and positioning? What are the lines between the two? Oh, absolutely. So differentiation is, that's the bare bones. Think of that as the foundation of your house, right? So that's what you need to build your marketing strategy on. It's the the core things that make your firm different than others. Positioning in the marketplace builds on, on top of those differentiators. So you could think about that as the framing of the house. Right. So um, you're building your positioning on top of that foundation. Um, and then in your positioning statement, something that's often used internally to guide marketing teams 
it's crafted in a way that weaves in all of the differentiators succinctly so that you can um, articulate all of your differentiators in, in one succinct way. Got it. Does that okay, make sense? Makes sense? That makes perfect sense. I appreciate that. Um, anything else that you think is important to mention on this topic of differentiation before we move on? Um, I think I think that's it on differentiation. I think we're we're starting to creep into the positioning aspect of it. I think we've covered it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And number two is that high growth firms invest more in marketing. Mm -hmm. you know, music to my ears. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, I think you got to think about uh, marketing or an investment in marketing as it can be more than just um, a dollar investment. But what we found actually, and we started, we saw this last year, and we saw this again this year in this year's study, was that these high growth firms are actually investing more dollars into marketing than um, no growth firms. And again, looking at the that range of firms from a million dollars on up, the high growth firms median marketing budget was 5% of annual revenue, whereas uh, the low growth firms and even average firms was only 3%. So you're looking at um, firms that invest more dollars into marketing. And then um, if we look deeper into the data, they're actually investing more time into their marketing as well. So they're investing in it in a couple different ways. Um, and they're doing, they're doing things a lot more frequently too. So for example, these high growth firms are actually guest blogging about 20% more frequently than no growth firms. So they'll, they'll secure month, uh, about two publications a month, whereas those no growth firms are only securing one publication. So um, they're also doing webinars more frequently or they're putting more effort into webinars and they're seeing twice the impact. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, they're including um, original research as a part of their content strategy. Um, they're actually doing that about three times more than no growth firms. So they're investing more in marketing, not just from a dollar's perspective, but from time as well. And so let's, let's just make sure people understand that 3% versus 5%. It sounds like a small number. It's actually almost double, right? So when you look at the dollars, it's almost double. Um, right. the, the spend between average growth and high growth firms. So it's a significant difference. Do we have a sense of how that time investment is spread across people in the firm? Is it is this marketing people or are the principals and partners and the like also spending more time on marketing? Well, I, I think it, it starts to uh, blend over into another one of the points that we, uh, that we found in this study in this notion that these high growth firms are leveraging their subject matter experts a little bit more. And um, I mean, your audience is going to trust a face than a, than a logo <laughs> more often than not. Uh, I can think of a couple logos I trust over a couple faces, but uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's really the direction that marketing just in a broad sense is going is that the concept of influencers in the marketplace and the concept of um, subject matter expertise and visible experts um, and so that investment, it's, it's an investment in um, the personal brand of your team. And I think leadership is catching on that, you know, you got to let, let your experts out there in the world and, and interact and engage with the audience and engage with your target clients. Lots of questions about that. Are we going to get back to that in a minute? Or is that sure, coming yeah, up? We, or? Can, we can get back to that. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
So more money in marketing, more time in marketing, and some interesting ways that firms are investing in marketing, doing original research, sounds like more online content, guest blogging, webinars. Um, any other, you know, in terms of channels, I don't think that's coming up anytime soon, but any other findings from a channel perspective, what are they doing uh, for their marketing that maybe they weren't doing in the past or that's different from the average growth uh, firms? Yeah, so the, the one thing that I would add to this, uh, the topic of marketing investment is um, that they're focused on, these high growth firms are focused on leveraging the audiences of other, other influencers in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So going out and, and really finding ways to amplify their expertise, right? So uh, in professional services, the, the, the two biggest evaluation criteria of buyers are uh, subject matter expertise and relevant experience. So the more that you can amplify that and get your expertise out there in the marketplace, um, the bigger impact it will have. So for example, just to make that concrete, you know, guest blogging is a good example of that. Obviously mm -hmm. you've got an audience, whether that's an industry pre-publication or maybe a strategic partner that has your audience with your clients, you know, it's like a, it's like a mini referral, right? That you publish on, on their platform and then you get uh, some of the credibility and traffic that comes with that. Podcast interviews, is that another example, potentially? Exactly, yeah. It's a, a mutually beneficial exchange where you know, you've got two, two audiences that overlap. It's relevant content and all parties, all parties gain. There's value created. Yeah, joint webinars would be another one. I think the way to think about this is think about it from a refer referral perspective, right? Who would you go out and ask for a referral? Who are other companies in your industry that you could form strategic partnerships and alliances with who are not direct competitors, um, although even then there may be, a, may be a case for it if they're indirect, um, that you could go and, and you know, interview or write for their blog or write for their newsletter or collaborate with them in some shape or fashion so that you can have audience with their clients. Absolutely. Another, another example to add is um, if, if you do a body of research or if you have a unique perspective, you know, reach out to those influencers in the marketplace and say, hey, uh, you know, here's a unique perspective. Here's a body of research. Would you want to create some content around it? Um, and add your own spin to it. And so then that's another way to get other people talking about a concept. It's a way to challenge your ideas and do they stand the test or will they be criticized? So let me ask you this, and maybe a bit of a tangent, but it's one I'd like to take with you. Sure. This idea of doing original research, obviously this, is, this has been Hinge's strategy and, and, and you do this for other firms and, and we've been talking about it a little bit here. If, if I'm somebody who's listening to this and I'm, I'm intrigued by this, by this idea of doing original research, making those findings available to my audience as a way of building authority for my firm, how would you suggest one get started with that? I think the first place to get started was, is to jot down what are the questions that you want to answer? What are the questions that your clients continually ask you? Um, and then to be able to speak to that in a credible way, um, the next step, I think, would be to go out and to interview folks in the marketplace that you want their perspective. So you want to go out and you want to have phone conversations. You want to pick their brains. Um, it could be your ideal client. You know, it's like, okay, so let me talk to my ideal client. Let's get their, their thoughts. And then once you do a few interviews and you start hearing some common responses, take that to an online survey. And then that's where you can really have quantitative validation is what I like to call it. 
um, and take it to a broad market and see, okay, so do these things that I found in those interviews, do they pan out? Do they hold water? Interesting. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. How do you get people to agree to that? (laughs) (laughs) To, to, To agree to an interview? To, yeah, to agree to the interview or even just responding to the survey, like what's, where's the carrot or the stick? Oh yeah. So, you know, it, it, it all depends. Um, there's, there's plenty of ways to incentivize a survey. Uh, what we did with our, our high growth study is we actually, um, we did a random drawing for an Apple watch. So that was the, uh, the carrot, if you will, um, for firms to participate in our study and uh, uh, we actually just picked a winner and sent him his, his Apple Watch. And uh, he, was, he was very excited. He said that uh, the winner said that he, didn't, he hadn't won anything in his life. So this was a, a pleasant surprise to him. Uh, but no, there, there, there's plenty of ways that you can incentivize a survey. Um, I've, I've seen, uh, you know, $20 Amazon gift cards, you, you know, raffle off, enter for a chance to win X, Y, Z. Um, it depends on the audience though. Um, more senior level folks like to, to see the results of the research. Um, so if you're doing a study on a specific topic that might be of interest to your target market, offer them a, a free copy or an advanced copy of the research that they can get ahead of time. These are all different ways to uh, incentivize participation. That's something that I found that's worked with some of my clients is, is to when we kind of use this more as a, as a lead generation play, but also with a research benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Where we'll reach out to, they'll reach out to prospects uh, and they'll they'll pose this as a, as a research exercise, which, which it is. And they'll get the conversation with prospects and they'll ask them the questions, they'll gather the data and they'll promise to make the, the findings available to participants before it's released to, a, to the public. And potentially the participants will get access to more data than the public. But then the, the nice side benefit of that is that once you're now having the conversation, if they happen to have a problem that you can solve, you don't want to obviously sell in that conversation because you want to maintain the integrity of the study. But now you have the opportunity to say, well, look, by the way, we can probably help you with this if you want to have a separate conversation. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think people generally enjoy being asked thought-provoking questions. It makes them think about things in a different way um, than they would have normally thought about. And so in doing that and starting that conversation, you stand out in their mind. I mean, we hear that all the time um, where we'll ask, a set of questions and they'll say, man, I, I was only planning on uh, being on the phone with you for 30 minutes and an hour goes by and uh, we're still talking. So I've enjoyed the conversation. You know, I hear that all the time. Well, and that's interesting because there's nothing more preeminent than, than that posture of asking questions because we want to add value to the industry. So if you're someone who's listening to this, um, just, just imagine somebody comes to you and they're interested in your industry and the way that you do things. And they're asking you really smart questions and they're going to, package that into a report or some kind of uh, piece of content that's going to be a benefit to the industry. How do you feel about that person? Do you feel like they're just some, some kind of salesperson trying to sell you something? Or do you feel like they're, they're bringing something to the industry? And when you have a need to hire someone like that, who do you think you're going to call? <laughs> right? Well, I think it goes back to um, you're creating value, right? You're, uh, the, the end result of this is um, where we're taking your perspective into account and we're going we're gonna to say, okay, that's your perspective. Do you share that with the majority or are you in the minority of, of, of how you think? So um, I think that there's an inherent value being created by aggregating perspectives and then sharing that with the community. 
And I won't ask you how much business Hinge has gotten out of this, but I'm sure it's significant. So good on you. <laughs> it's a great strategy. So that brings us to hallmark number three. All right. Is this the M&A one? This is high growth firms enjoy a skills advantage. Ah, uh, yes. So this is what we were talking about earlier, where um, professional services firms, the most rapidly growing ones, are investing in their subject matter experts. Mm-hmm. And these subject matter experts have a quantifiable skill advantage over the subject matter experts in no growth firms. So they were more likely to be viewed as having a higher level of skill in a number of different business development categories, um, in networking, in interviewing, and in speaking on webinars or podcasts, and writing articles um, on social media. They they have a skill advantage in each of these areas, and it's um, something that helps build the personal brand of the experts as well as the brand of the firm. And we call that the halo effect, hmm. where um, the brand of the firm can elevate that of the expert and it can work um, both ways. So when we talk about skill advantage, are we, are we talking specifically about business development skills? Well, these were that's just how, how we call these specific skills. So networking face-to-face was one skill that we examined and the high growth firms, um, they rated their subject matter experts very highly on that skill. Um, Interviewing other subject matter experts was another business development skill that we evaluated where the high growth firms had an advantage. Um, So these are, they they do it with a higher degree of, a higher level of skill than the no growth firms. Okay, no, I wanted to clarify that because what we're not saying is we're not saying that the subject matter experts have a higher degree of skill necessarily in their field of study of expertise. Yeah, we are not. It's not that they're they're quantifiably better accountants or lawyers or consultants. Right. Quantifiably better at the business development activities that you just mentioned. Exactly. Yes. Yes. They're quantifiably better at demonstrating that expertise and creating visibility around that expertise. And there's really, there's three um, pillars that we, that we took a look at, speaking, writing, and networking. Those are the three uh, pillars that we took a look at because um, those are the best ways to disseminate your expertise. And it, it really depends on the preference. I mean, some experts are better at speaking than they are at writing. And some experts are better writers than they are speakers. So, as much as they can cater to their strengths and accentuate what makes them, um, what, what's the best way to deliver their expertise. Absolutely. How are they better? Do we understand, like, what, why is it that these high growth firms have experts who are more highly skilled in these areas? Are they doing more in terms of training? Like, how is that happening? Well, I think training has a lot to do with it. Um, y- you know, you take a look at the experts that are doing really well in the marketplace. Um, and I think one of the keys is, is, is not that they're doing it better, but they're more consistent at it. They're doing it more consistently. So, you know, you could be a great speaker, but if you're only doing one speaking engagement a year, you're really not getting your message out there. Whereas if you're doing it on a consistent basis, if you're saying, okay, I'm gonna do uh, one speaking engagement a quarter, you know, okay, so now you've you now you're doing 4x what you were if you were just only doing it once a month, and 
that way you, you, when you do it more consistently, you get better over time and more and more people hear your message. Well, to take speaking as an example, look at a Tony Robbins, right? Everyone can see how amazingly motivational and inspirational Tony is today. But what you didn't see is that when he was a nobody, he was on the road, I think sometimes speaking two or three times a day, mm-hmm. doing like hundreds of speaking engagements every year, because that practice is what made him is what made him the speaker he is today. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you expert that's listening to the show are going to go and speak hundreds of times a year, you have to actually do the work that your clients need done. But the point is, with practice, you develop that muscle, develop that skill set, and that then makes you better in that particular area than an expert at a competing firm. Absolutely. And there also has to be a willingness to, to work on your own personal brand. Um, and it's something that doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you have to chip away at over time. Um, but eventually, eventually you'll get there. And eventually you'll hit, you'll catch the ear of the right person. And um, you could go, go viral as, you know, as so to speak. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of hard work that goes into creating visibility around a personal brand. Well, funny story and not to self-promote, but because it, it plays really well into what you just said, you know, as you know, I've, I've been publishing on LinkedIn for a while, right? I don't even mm-hmm. know, a long time. Um, and the goal was never to go viral by any means, right? The goal is consistently build the audience, share thoughts and insights and perspectives. And, and that worked really well. And I get clients from it all the time until December 13th of 2018, when I went viral. Yeah. I remember that. Videos. I remember saying yeah. that. Yeah. It was insanity. One of my videos up and up until today, it's, I think it's about 7,500 comments and 450,000 views, which is insanity. Like none of my stuff comes even remotely. Like we're not even in the ballpark. Right. And how long and how long were, have you had you been posting up to that point? It took it took a while to get there. Right. I mean, consistently about a year, I would say. Right. And inconsistently more than that. Sure. Right. But the, the lesson that a lot of my clients ask, right, like, so what do, what do we get out of this? Right. Like, how do we hack this like viral video thing? Right. Well, the, the answer is you can't. Yeah. Right. The answer is that with consistency, you keep putting your stuff out there. And what happens is people get used to seeing it. You build that tribe who can support you and, and give you more exposure, but you also develop this sixth sense of what clients are struggling with, what their pains are. And so when you get really good at speaking to their pains and you have the right eyeballs and the right content and, and the right delivery, then something magical could happen. You could go viral, not the goal, but your odds certainly go up if you're more prolific and consistent. Exactly. And um, I think it also ties back to another episode of, of your podcast that you that you uh, put out the other day where um, you have to be bigger than than your service right your personality has to be bigger than your service and and I think that that it's it's especially true here where you know your personal brand isn't just um, your expertise but it's also the personality that you bring to it too and it's your own stories and it's um, you know and those are those are unique to you as an individual not they they're not owned by the company so um i think that's another important element as well and one that subject matter experts really struggle with and all my clients included right they're very comfortable speaking about like their specific technical expertise because they know that really well but when you say when you say to them look you need to be a higher level you know business advisor trusted advisor to be able to attract the right people who may have a need for your specific technical expertise all of a sudden they get very uncomfortable <laughs> 
Yeah, and, pe- and, and people love to get caught up in the details because that's where they're most comfortable. They're most comfortable talking about those details and getting in the weeds. Absolutely. Awesome. John, move on to number four here, which is high growth firms were more likely to leverage M&A, mergers and acquisitions. Absolutely. So we see it all the time. Firms come to, to come to us with this challenge of we've grown via acquisition. We've gone through these mergers um, and our clients are confused. They don't know who we are. They don't know um, there's, oh, are you the legacy brand? Are you this brand or the other brand? And there's, there's different challenges that come up um, when you grow via M&A versus if you grow organically. So um, what we found is that about a third of all professional services firms went through an acquisition in the past uh, 12 months. And um, high growth firms were more likely to have gone through an M&A uh, a merger or acquisition in 2018. So about 40% of high growth firms went through a merger or acquisition, whereas only 23% of no growth firms did. And I'm not saying that to grow, you have to acquire other firms, but um, this is a way to growth and it presents different marketing and branding challenges. It's interesting because I think folks listening to this show are probably on the lower end of, of the firm size spectrum. Right, so mm-hmm. probably mostly sub five million and a good chunk sub a million. But I think it's interesting, even if you are that firm, to think ahead uh, in terms of your growth strategy, because you will you, you will kind of like if you're if you're especially your sub million dollars or, or or even sub five million, you're going to grow really really fast in the beginning because if you're positioned well and you're differentiated well, there's going to be a high need for your expertise, but you're going to tap out. And you're going to face this talent gap, which I know a lot of high growth firms face, right? And then it sounds like what you're saying is when you hit that level, the fastest way to grow will become a, a merger or, or an acquisition. Well, I, I think, I, I don't know that it's necessarily the fastest way to grow. And, and for your audience, I think, you know, one of the things to keep in mind is that as you're growing, you could position yourself to be the target of an acquisition. If you're looking for an exit strategy, if you're looking to sell your business, um, uh, the professional services are um, active in M&A right now. So that would be a viable strategy. Um, I'll, share, I'll share a story with you. So um, last year, we worked with a national staffing firm who had grown very, very rapidly via acquisition. And so they, they, uh, they gobbled up a bunch of different firms and they got to the point where they were a conglomerate that wasn't really recognizable. So um, we did a brand study, we interviewed clients, we did surveys and we developed um, not only firm-wide positioning for them, but we developed a strategic acquisition plan for the future so that they could go into the market and say, okay, you know, these are the ones that we want to target. This is why, and these are the branding implications. Um, so that's really what, um, those are really the challenges that come, come, come around the M&A is, is really how do you position yourself? What, how does that influence the differentiators? What are the synergies? Yeah, it's interesting because I think services folks don't really think about exits very often, right? That's, that's a very kind of startup idea is, 
I build a, I build a company around a product and I have an exit strategy. And if you don't have an exit strategy, you're not a real business owner, right? Services folks don't think too much about that because we, you know, we, we are the product and we deliver our service and our expertise, but, but it sounds like what you're saying is, is that there may be an exit strategy. If you want one, you don't have to, you don't have to want one. You can keep running your firm until, until you're blue in the face. Right. But the, the fact is a lot of, a lot of firms, especially the larger ones are growing by acquisition. And if you're really good at what you do, you have a clear market niche and clear specialization, you're differentiated, you're gonna be a target for some of those firms. And that that might be what you want, depends on who you are and what you value. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're doing it successfully and you're growing organically and you're well-positioned and differentiated, and if, especially if you're beating out the bigger guys, they're gonna start to notice and they're gonna start to pick up on you and they're gonna, they're gonna have you in their crosshairs. Um, and you may not even know it either. So there's always that potential um, to, for for an exit. There's always that potential for a merger um, or acquisition. So something to keep in mind. Sometimes you can tell because I got clients who have good tracking on their websites and they see a lot of traffic from Accenture and KPMG and PwC. That's a pretty good indication. You're on the big firm's radar. <laughs> exactly. Yep. All right. Good stuff. John, last but not least, uh, hallmark number five is that high growth firms target clients on both digital and traditional channels. Yeah. So I think this gets back to um, high growth firms have a fundamental understanding of their target audience and they know exactly where to reach them. And they know which channels, both digital and traditional to target, to reach their target clients. Um, Interestingly, what we found was that when we looked at the marketing mixes of just professional services firms, whether they're high growth or no growth, they were surprisingly balanced. 50% traditional, 50% uh, digital. And on the traditional side, it's mostly events, sponsorships, um, branded marketing collateral, doing assessments and consultations. On the on the digital side, the top um, techniques used by high growth firms were email marketing, search engine optimization, blogging, social media, and then developing case stories to use as content. So those are some examples of the top traditional and digital channels that those high growth firms are using. Do we have a sense of how the ROI differs between digital channels? By digging through numbers, um, the digital, it's harder to quantify the, the exact return on a lot of these different marketing techniques because, you know, how, it, how do you really quantify the return of a top of the funnel technique? It's something that marketers have been struggling with for, yeah. you know, however long digital marketing has been around. Um, but w- when we took a look at it by the metrics that we use, some of the top performing um, digital channels, case studies and webinars were, I think, the two um, digital marketing channels that provided the highest return on the effort involved in, in producing them. Yeah, which really shouldn't surprise anybody because if you think about it, those are the two channels where you're best able to demonstrate your provable expertise and differentiators. Exactly. Yep. So it all ties together. If you have a, a differentiator that you can prove, what's the best way to do it uh, visually and audio, uh, audibly? on a webinar is a great way to do it. And then telling stories like we were talking about um, with the case stories. So those are two 
effective ways. If you want to stretch your dollar, those are two channels to, to focus on. Now, email marketing campaigns came out as your number one channel. Is that right? On the digital side? That was the most commonly used channel for high growth firms. Yes. Do you have a sense of how firms are getting subscribers onto their email lists? What some of the tactics they're using there? Yeah. So I think one of the most effective ways to harvest email addresses is to gate content. And so if you create content like an executive guide or a research report, asking for an email address is a great way to say, hey, I've got this valuable content. Um, I'll give it to you. Um, but sign up for our list and, 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 and we'll, uh, we'll bring you more educational material um, straight to your inbox. So there's a, a mutually beneficial exchange that goes on when you gate content. Yeah, and I think that really ties into the research approach that we talked about earlier. If you can conduct that study, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like, and then you make the findings available to the participants, now you have a really strong piece of cornerstone content that you can make available to the rest of the market in exchange for an email address. Exactly, yep, it's a, it's a strategy that uh, we see a lot in professional services firms. And um, when, we, when we talk to our clients and they're not doing that, we immediately identify that and say, hey, this is a perfect opportunity for you to grow your email list. How do you suggest folks balance between their digital and traditional budgets? I know it seems like we're right kind of up down the middle here for high growth firms. Is that something to aspire to or, or are there other criteria we should consider when balancing those budgets? Well, it really depends on what your strategy is and where your target audiences are and um, what they really care about. Um, so if you're in um, startup mode and hyper growth mode, then um, the, a good way to increase that visibility rapidly is on digital. Um, if you are focused, really focused on the C-suite and um, it, it may be worth focusing on different events or sponsorships to go where, where they're hanging out at. And then on the digital side, even that, even that audience, you could target publications that they read too. So there, there's a, it depends on your strategy um, and how you budget for digital versus traditional marketing. And I'm curious, advertising on LinkedIn, Facebook, places like that, would that be bucketed under, under social media marketing in, in your study? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, we bucketed under social media um, because it's it, social media has become kind of this this big nebulous term, and there's so many different things. I mean, we could do a whole research study on just social media and um, all the different platforms, but uh, yeah, so social media. I think we broke that down into two buckets. It was networking on social media was one, and then promoting thought leadership on social media was the other one. And so the, the, the promoted posts, the advertisements, uh, we consider that as part of promoting thought leadership on social. Yeah, can you do that study, by the way? <laughs> that would be, that'd be really useful. <laughs> you want to partner with us on it? A hundred percent. Someone's got to get that data together. I mean, yeah, I don't think do anybody it. can effectively crack the code on effective professional services advertising. Not that I've seen yet. I haven't seen it yet either. It's... Um, Advertising uh, professional services is a tough nut to crack, um, but I think what's what's particularly effective is what we've been talking about this whole time, and it it's building the visibility 
around your expertise. Uh, that's the most effective advertising is if you can get somebody to recognize you as a, as a thought leader and a visible expert, then you've, you've done your advertising. That's the name of the game, my friend. John, we've covered the five hallmarks of high growth firms. Appreciate that. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned here that you think is important to mention before we wrap up? Have you recovered from the cold, the polar vortex up there in Canada? Uh, it is a it is a beautiful 10 degrees at the time of this recording. It's February 4th, 10 degrees Celsius above, above freezing. So uh, we've recovered. Actually, I was driving here after lunch back to the office and there were kids getting off school in shorts and t-shirts. I think that was a bit extreme, <laughs> but, but considering- A good sign nonetheless. A, a 30 degree boost in temperature in the last couple of days um, has been nice. Uh, I'll, I'll be a bit confusing for the body though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. No, it's been good. Um, John, listen, uh, where can folks go to grab this study and download the, the executive summary? Yeah, so if you go to hingemarketing.com, and if you go to our library, we've got a library full of content and you scroll down and select research studies and we've got a bunch of research studies in there. And this will be at the top of the list because it's the most recent one that we produced. Awesome. And we'll drop links to that in the show notes to this episode. John, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate this. And I'm sure we'll be back at it next year. It was my pleasure. I'll talk to you next time. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step -step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.